The scripture reading is Colossians um, 1, verse 15 to 20. I was going over my file of sermons, and I haven't preached many sermons from Colossians, and after I got into this text, I discovered why. It's a tough book, but I think I'm going to spend 2024 in it. In verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Plus, he's the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I was going to try to preach that whole passage, but I'm, uh, I cut the back half this morning, or else we'd be here all morning. So I'm going with 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. For most of my adult life, I have tried to read the Bible and newspaper each day. I'm not always successful. Stuff comes up. Yesterday, I had to get up at 6 a.m. just to pick up a grandchild and bring him somewhere. You know, that happens once in a while. Messed up my routine, if you know what I'm talking about. But usually, I try to read the Bible and the newspaper every day. The, the Bible I've been in lately is the one-year Bible. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the one-year Bible, but it's nice. Each day gives you a selection from the Old Testament, the New Testament, part of a psalm and a proverb or two. And what's nice about the one-year Bible, gentlemen, is that you can kind of pencil in important dates so you don't forget them, right? Say, my wife's birthday. Oh, yeah. All right. Those my anniversary, right? My child's birthday. Those kinds of things. And, and then I read the newspaper. Now, this may seem crazy to you, but for over 40 years, I've read the Chicago Tribune every day. Now, I don't know why. I really don't. It's... it's the details may, may change, but the storyline's always the same. Except for 2016 when the Cubs did win the World Series. Right? I mean, that was like a blip on the radar. But every day it's the same stories. It's gloom and doom and wars and rumors of wars. Crime and accidents and natural disasters and human tragedies. Politics and politicians. 
and recently, climate change and global warming. So each day, wake up, have my breakfast, read my newspaper, read my Bible. But here is what I don't read in the newspaper, nor do I expect to find in this day and age, a Christian perspective on the news. In fact, when I read the newspaper, I read a post-Christian perspective on the news. A post-Christian perspective that assumes there is no God. Or a non-Christian perspective that assumes people have the power to do what only God can do. So today I, want, I offer a word for Christians in the world, but not of it. For Christians like you engaged in the affairs of this world. For Christians who keep up to date with the affairs of this world. For Christians who like to engage conversation about the stuff going on in the world. And more specifically, I offer one essential building block upon which we as Christians interpret everything that is going on in the world. One essential building block that is the foundation, the presupposition of every conversation, and it is this, Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. Thank you, thank you. Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. Paul, I, I'm, I'm getting into meat and potatoes today. Is that okay? I'm, I'm, this is, you're going to have to stay awake. I think I'll be able to keep you awake. But uh, it's pretty heavy stuff. So when I, I'm not going to be good, give you five steps to an easier day tomorrow. I'm going to talk about the five ways that Christ is Lord over all creation. Right. Verse 19. It says here that Jesus Christ is God. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God, the Father, was to please to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. And then you flip over to Colossians 2, verse 9, and it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, if you've been watching The Chosen, maybe the bloom of that teaching has kind of faded away. I like the, that series, The Chosen on the Life of Jesus. I find it fascinating. I'm captivated with Matthew. I never thought of him as such a geek. But he's quite, he's quite cool. But, you know, what's beautiful about The Chosen series is you see the humanity of Christ. But here, Paul wants to accent the deity of Christ. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells. We call this the incarnation. Can you say that word? All right, good. You're all theologians now. The incarnation. When Jesus, human Jesus, assumed bodily form, 
This divine Jesus assumes bodily form, fully God and fully man. This God-man who came to earth and suffered, died, rose again, and ascended as this God-man into heaven. That's why, I mean, people love that song that Jesus lives in their heart. No, he doesn't. The Spirit lives in your heart. Jesus has a human body, a glorified body and ascended to heaven in that glorified body and will return in that glorified body. Amen? He is fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ is God. Number two, Jesus Christ is before all things. Verse 17. What is Paul saying? He is saying that before anything else existed in the world, there was God. There was Jesus. In other words, Jesus, who is God, has this attribute of God that he is eternal. Jesus Christ is before all things. Colossians 1, Jesus Christ created everything that is not God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, for in him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers of authorities, all created by Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. Now, that's a tricky phrase. Some There's a cult, I forget which one it is. It's one of the ones that visits your home and talks to you and likes to say that this verse teaches that Jesus was created. First there was the Father, and then he created the Son. But that is not what this means. That's impossible. How can Christ be before everything that was created if he himself was created? Can't happen. The firstborn here is an honorific title, customary in the biblical age. The firstborn is an honorific title that was customary in that particular day. Jesus Christ is eternal. He is the firstborn. He went on to, not that he was created and went on to create all things, but that he has the honor of being the person of highest rank, the creator of all that is not God and has supremacy of all. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is before all things. Jesus Christ created everything that is not God. Jesus Christ holds everything together in Colossians 1.17. Holds it all together. Earlier I mentioned, uh, I was, I read the one-year Bible. And then, of course, in January 1, you begin in Genesis 1, and Shortly thereafter, you get into Genesis 6 and you read about how God was, thought he made a mistake in creating the world and he decides to destroy the world with a flood, but save Noah and his family and a pair of animals, you know, to keep the animal kingdom alive and well. So Noah builds his ark and he's saved from that. 
But then in Genesis 8, we read this. Noah built, after Noah disembarked from the boat, I was going to say deboated, de-arked, because when you're on the plane, you know, you de-plane. But I thought you de-ark. So after he de-arked, he built an altar to the Lord. And he took some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed them, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said, never again will I do this to the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Never again will I destroy all all living creatures. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And I wonder, well, that's quite a big promise. Lord, how, do, how are you going to keep that promise? Do you think that the fulfilling of that promise depends upon me and you? That we can fulfill that promise that God made? I don't think so. But Jesus holds everything together. He is the one who makes sure that planting and harvest, cold and heat and summer and winter, day and night, never cease. In other words, Jesus does not just create all things, but he maintains all things. He holds together the complex pieces of creation. And then finally, Paul says, and this, is, this kind of blows my mind, All things were created for Christ, that in everything he might be preeminent. All things were created for Christ, by him, for him. Man, I always thought the world was created for us, (laughs) you know? That the Lord just uh, created Adam and Eve and said they need a place to hang, So I'll build them this great creation. And I thought, hey, this is our gig, right? This is our place. And uh, it's like the Lord sublets it to us for a while. And then I'm reading this passage, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Creation. Christ created the world for him in order that he might be preeminent that the creation might put his majesty on display. Jesus created the world to put his supremacy, his glory out there. This is why the universe came into being. Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. All right, that's the first half. Are you still with me? All right, good. good. No? Oh, you're so, okay, good. Whew, praise the Lord. Whew. The second half is, what does this mean? Or what doesn't this mean for me and you? And I, I got five takeaways there too. This means, first off, as we have sung, Jesus created our world in all of its beauty. Jesus created all you see, every type of plant, mineral, insect, fish, and mammal. He created the stars, the moons, the solar system. 
He created the internal systems or laws of nature that keep the world running. He created everything we see and everything we don't see. I don't know how he did it. I read in Genesis 1, boom, 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 and it all came together. In Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 1 wants to teach us that God in the person of Jesus created the world in all of its beauty. Number two, and this is where we get thicker and thicker here. This means that whatever happens in the world comes under the purview of Jesus Christ. Right? If you're the president of your company, everything that happens in your company comes under your purview. You may delegate it out for a while, but the bottom line is you are where the buck stops. Everything that happens in our world comes under the purview of Christ, who is Lord of all creation. He has the authority, he has the influence, and he has the knowledge over all things. Which means that Jesus either designs things to happen, wills, things to happen or allows things to happen. Those are the only three options. When Jesus is Lord of creation and has authority over all, he either designs stuff to happen, he wills it to happen, like he can stop the sun, he can still the storms, he can... He can put on suspension the very laws of nature. He can come in and, and heal the blind and heal the sick. He can will it. Or he allows it to happen. He either, take the dinosaurs, for example. I don't understand the dinosaurs. I mean, I see them at the museum, right? Or skeletons. He either designed the dinosaurs in such a way that they no longer roam the earth, designed them that way, or intervened and made sure they didn't roam the earth, or allowed them to become extinct and no longer roam the earth. Three options, or a combo of two or three, and we won't know until we get to heaven, will we? Hey, Lord, what happened to those dinos? Right? Number three. And then, uh, this is big. This means that if you want something to change in the world, go to Jesus first, before your politician. You want something to change in your world, you go to the one who is Lord of the world, amen? Lord of our lives. He created the world, he holds everything in his hands, so we come to him in prayer. He has authority and power over all things in creation and nothing will happen in creation without his permission. Farmers have been doing this for centuries. They know that they can 
plow the fields and till the soil and plant the seed, and all of it is lost if God doesn't bring rain. They know it. They sit there and wait. They do all they can. And then they sit back and pray that the Lord of the harvest will bring the rain. We want something to change in our world. We first go to Jesus. I was, remember a story, maybe you've heard it, it was from a, a person in a third world country who we were talking about the difference between, a, it could have been Africa and, and the U.S., he says, well, the difference between us, he says, and you Americans is when you get sick, you call the doctor, and if the doctor can't fix it, then you pray. Here in Africa, we pray first. We start with prayer. Then we go to the doctor. <laughs> right? If we want something to change in our world, let us pray. Number four, this does not mean, the Lordship of Christ does not mean that Christ is responsible for all the brokenness in creation. Creation is good, but broken. It does not always work the way it's designed. Instead of supporting life, it occasionally destroys it. And the world has been this way since Adam and Eve sinned and were kicked out of the garden. Here are God's words in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. You see, creation was implicated in the catastrophe brought about by the entrance of sin into the world. And ever since the sin of Adam and Eve, creation has been subjected to frustration it is in bondage to, to decay. Jesus, the Lord of creation, is not the cause of the decay in creation. He allows it. He allows it to manifest itself in the world. And he makes sure that we are not tested beyond what we can handle. The creation is broken. So when we want something broken, fixed in the world, we go to the Lord of creation in prayer. And then finally, this does not mean that the lordship of Jesus over all creation does not mean we do nothing. We are not to let evil advance without resistance. We are not to let death and destruction reign supreme. We're not to let creation disintegrate before our eyes. 
For the same God who created the heavens and earth has called us to care for creation. The same God who has created us in his image calls us to promote life from the womb to the tomb. And since this is such an important truth, let me cite a couple passages. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man, human beings, in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over creation over the fish, the birds, the livestock, the earth. And then when we move to Genesis 2, we find God created Adam and Eve, placing them in the garden to work it and to care for it. So the Lord creates Adam and Eve as co-workers to tend his creation. And like Adam and Eve, we care for creation. We promote human flourishing. We promote life from the womb to the tomb. We do not treat the world like our personal garbage dump. Instead, we care for it and then pass on the responsibility of caring for it to our children. And we do so not out of a desire to survive, not out of some human motivation, but we do so because Christ is Lord of creation and he, the world was created by him and for him. And because we love him and we want to lift him up, we care for creation. We try to minimize the effect of the brokenness of the world. Christians throughout the centuries are the ones who've led the way. For example, in the medical field. I was corrected the other day. I was meeting with a search team for a church, and I referred to a hospital on the west side of Chicago as Presbyterian St. Luke's. I was corrected. We're no longer that. We are Rush. Oh. So we take the references to Christ and the kingdom out. Okay, I got you. But let us never forget that most of the hospitals in Chicago were started by Christians. Why? Because of this call to care for creation and to promote human flourishing. So, all right, let me wrap it up. I'm running out of time. You still with me? All right, good. Mom, are you still with me? Isn't she great? Isn't my mother great? Man, she's 91. I'm, I've been hearing that. Well, you know I'm 91. It's kind of hard to get out in the cold now. That's what she's saying right now. Let me begin and where I started as I wrap this up. And this, this will be short. There's not five points. I was reading the Tribune this past week. And uh, I was reading about this development. I think it was in Lincoln Park where they were trying to encourage people to ride their bicycles instead of driving their cars, so they were creating this bicycle-friendly environment, which was fine. Um, the article caught my attention because I, I had the privilege of going to Germany this past year in, in Berlin, and I noticed, man, there's more people that drive bicycles and drive cars. And then when I asked the Berliner about it, he said, well, you ought to go to Netherlands. He said, man, their, their, their biking system is incredible. And so, you know, I was just curious because bicycling seems to be a good way to 
improve air quality and my personal fitness. But here's what caught my attention. The article quoted an individual who was promoting more bicycles and less cars. And his rationale was, the earth is melting. Your earth is melting. I just got done reading about God's promise in Genesis 8 that as long as the earth endures, there will always be planting and harvest, hot and cold, winter and summer. I was working on this sermon on Colossians 1.15, and there, young people, is an example is that when you read the newspaper, when you listen to the news, you must always integrate your faith. Always. You can't take it at first face value. Because the, news, the newspaper come, is post-Christian, does not even acknowledge the existence of Jesus Christ. And so I struggled to see how that statement of melting, harmonized with the truth that Jesus is Lord of creation. That was my existential crisis at 6.30 in the morning. But I want to be clear. I'm not preaching on global warming or climate change. Such subjects should be considered around a table through a respectful conversation. I am, however, suggesting that all of our conversations as Christians about the affairs of this world take place from this simple platform, Jesus is Lord of creation. Amen? He's Lord of creation and Lord of our lives, and that truth generates hope instead of despair. And since he is Lord of creation, we do our best to care for creation for creation exists for Jesus, and when the brokenness of creation manifests itself, we best pray to the Lord, who is the Lord of creation. In short, when it comes to the affairs of this world, work as if it all depends on you, but pray knowing it all depends on the Lord. Amen? And I think I'll just end it right there. Let's call it a day. What's, am I to pray or some? Taz, you're praying, right? All right, good. You got that covered? All right. I'm not going to say anything bad, you know, <laughs> about you. How do I follow that? Pray. <laughs> Amen. Uh, please bow your heads. Wonderful, merciful God, we come before you this morning as a congregation, grateful for the privilege of worship and fellowship at Lombard CRC. We thank you, sovereign God, for all the blessings you've poured out on us. We thank you also for bringing Pastor Sam Hamstra to us this morning, and that we could hear his message on the supremacy of Christ. 
Lord, we confess this morning that we weren't the best Christians this week and that we weren't the best examples of your pure and holy love. Please forgive us, Lord, we pray. Father God, there are some, so many in our church family that are fighting illness and disease. We ask that you please be with Ginny Jupp as she just had another surgery and she's been in a lot of pain this week, both in and out of the hospital. Please also be with Patty Hopp, George Vendenen, and Gladys Lubin, Lord. This morning, Father, we grieve with the Pullman family as they have lost Jerry's father this past week. Please grant the Pullmans a measure of comfort in this difficult time. Father, we also think of those who aren't able to be here this morning or not able to move about as freely as they once could. This morning, we think especially of Wayne and Joan Vandermolen and Pastor Barb, or, uh, Barvin Staldinen. Finally, Lord, we humbly ask that you continue to pour out your blessings on this church and its congregation. And also to Pastor Hamstra, we pray that he may continue to be a blessing on those he reaches at Ebenezer, at Lombard CRC, and all points in between. This we ask in your most humble, holy and exalted name. Amen.